So here's what I'm going to ask. It's been an awesome service already, hasn't it? I'm hoping I'm not going to screw that up in the next 18 minutes. But through, from the worship to the baptisms to the way Chase led us um, during the worship time and uh, hearing Shane is absolutely incredible. I'm going to ask you, though, I know you've been kind of sitting for a second, um, a few minutes. So just kind of lean into this. I feel like this is really important what I'm going to share. Um, and I won't be able to unpack everything, but there are some things I really want to talk about. And it ties in directly to what Shane just shared with us. And so um, go ahead and turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to remind you a little bit about what we talked about last week. If you were here, you remember that we talked about um, the tension that exists between the church and the world around us, between the church and the culture around us. And we talked about that tension and, how, and ways we can stand firm in that tension. Because in the world around us, there, there, there's um, this attempt to eradicate truth um, and, and in the church, we have truth, right? And so the world around us is going one way in an attempt to do away with truth so that um, anything you think, feel, want, desire is truth. Um, the church, though, we have truth. How do we live in this tension? And I brought the old handy-dandy um, bungee strap, bungee cord, to, to talk about that, that the world is going one way, we're going another, right? And today we're going to talk about another tension that if we are going to become the church that God desires for us to be, another tension we have to stand firm in, another tension that we have to exist in and thrive in, and I want us to look at that and really be able to see it. And that tension that we're going to look at today is the tension of our culture around us pulling us towards autonomy, okay? I'm gonna talk about that more and give a definition of that in a second to clarify what I mean by autonomy. But the culture is seeking for autonomy. But the, the Bible tells us that if we are Christians, we are under Christ's lordship, okay? So here's the thing I want you to see. Autonomy and lordship don't coexist, all right? And I hope this will encourage you and challenge you um, as much as it did me, all right? So let's pray, and then we're gonna jump into Matthew chapter five. Let's, let's lean into this and really um, grab hold of it. Lord, I thank you for your word and your truth, for your presence here, for what you've already done today. Thank you for Shane. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing in his life and the life of this church. Lord, would you continue to do that now through your truth, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, we, we introduced this through Matthew chapter 5, um, verses uh, 13 through 16. I want to read those again. And this is Jesus speaking to a large crowd of people. Um, and he's just gone through a teaching about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And it's very different than what it looks like to live in the world. And so in verse 13, he tells them this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. He uses salt and he uses light. 
And what he's telling us is, if you are living out the, the, the kingdom of God, you are living as a citizen of the kingdom of God, um, for God, not as a citizen of this world, which you, by faith in Christ, have been transferred from the, king, the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, he's saying, you're gonna be different. And what he's telling us, through the salt and the light analogy, he's saying, don't lose your distinction. If you lose your distinction, then what's the point? And we talked last week about the distinction of the church and, and, and in Christ we have love and we have truth. The world is attempting to eradicate truth and we're counterfeiting love as tolerance. You go back and listen to that message. And, and today we need to see that this tension also exists and we've gotta stand firm to not lose our distinction as people who live under the lordship of Jesus. Because the world is trying to pull us up to a place of autonomy. This culture around us is trying to pull us to this place of autonomy. And so this tension exists, us being pulled. And we've got to live and exist, stand firm as we talked about in this tension. I want to give you a quick definition of autonomy. Autonomy, simply defined, would be independence or freedom with your will or actions. Independence or freedom with your will or actions, okay, is a simple definition of autonomy. It basically means to be the sovereign, okay? So the culture is pulling and the culture is moving towards this place of independence and freedom to make our own decisions, just to do what we want to. People today, not only do they not want to submit to the authority of God, people today don't want to submit to anybody's authority, right? How many of you have seen that in the world? We don't want any kind of authority. Don't tell me what to do. And so we are having to exist if we're in Christ under his lordship in a world that's pulling us and telling us it's about independence. It's about you making your own decisions, but lordship, if we define lordship simply, it would be supreme power or rule. So you, can you see like that's saying basically the sovereign. Can you see where the tension is or the collision of these two worldviews is? Because both are claiming to be the sovereign. And we've got to recognize this. We've got to know how to stand firm in this. I think part of what will help us learn this is by recognizing the root. What's at the root of this tension? Why do we feel this tension? Why is it sometimes hard not to get drawn into this? Why does my flesh, it, it kind of wants to lean that way into this independence and freedom, this ability to make my own choice, to have my own will, to act on my own will, rather than living under the lordship of Christ? So I want us to look at this. First, I want you to turn, if you will, to Galatians, Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five from Matthew, you gotta go way to the right. If you hit Ephesians, Philippians, you gotta go back to the left. All right? Galatians chapter five. Before I read it, I wanna give you the first root issue or the, the, the reason for the tension between autonomy and lordship. This, it, this, this tension exists, and it exists because of our understanding of freedom. This is one of the reasons. I'm not gonna give you exhaustive list. There may be others, but the three I'm gonna give you, I feel like are really, really important. This tension exists because of our understanding of freedom. Listen to Galatians chapter five, verses 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be what? 
free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, you are free. What are we free from? The first thing Jesus freed us from was the law, this attempt to make ourselves right with God that we could never do. And so he's saying, basically, look, um, you've been set free from that. Christ fulfilled the law and now by faith has given you righteousness, right standing with God. So you were set free from the law. By being set free from the law, you were set free from sin. Sin no longer is a, has, has a hold of us. Why? The law has been fulfilled and Christ's righteousness has been given to us. When sin was done away with, so was death. You can see this progression throughout scripture that with the law being fulfilled, um, sin has been taken away, done away with with. And now we are um, no longer bound to death, but we have the life of Christ. And we see this. So Paul is telling us as he's writing this letter to the Galatians, he's saying, listen, you are free. You are free. The Bible tells us it is for freedom that Christ set us free. We are free people. But look, he also says, don't lose, use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. In other words, don't abuse the freedom. The freedom is not so that you can do whatever you want to. In fact, what command did he quote? He quoted one of the two commands that Jesus said are the most important and that summarize all the prophets and the law. The first one, if you remember, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one, he said, is love your neighbor as yourself. These are commands given by Jesus. In other words, don't indulge the flesh. Live under the lordship of Christ, obedient to his commands. And so we need to see that this freedom and this mindset of freedom that we have doesn't line up with this biblical understanding of freedom. The culture, I want to give you a quick definition of our culture's worldview um, of freedom, uh, what, it, what we would define it as in our culture today. And that is this, the power to exercise choice and make decisions without restraint from myself or others. The power to uh, to, uh, to exercise choice and make decisions without restraint from myself or others. In other words, I don't want anyone telling me what choice I have to make. I don't want any authority over me. In fact, I don't even want my own conscience to tell me what choice I should make. That's an extremely dangerous place to be. But that's our cultural understanding. The biblical worldview of freedom is this. It's not the power to exercise choice and make decisions without restraint from myself or others. The biblical worldview of freedom would say this. It's the power to do what I was created to do. Okay, so think about this. Hear this, because this is, this is big. The tension is this, that our understanding of freedom is basically to do my ability to do what I want to do. So this is it. Freedom, though, is not my ability to do what I want to do, but my ability to do what I was created to do. That is freedom. And the greatest satisfaction we're gonna find is when we're walking 
in what we were created to do. What were we created to do? We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to be whole in ourselves. We were created to be in relationship with others. We were created to fill the earth with the glory of God as people all across the the globe would sing his praises. That's what we are created to do. But we've gotta come to a correct understanding of freedom. Freedom is not my ability to do what I want to do. Freedom is my ability to do what I was created to do. The second one, go to Romans, back up to the left now, Romans chapter six. In the book of Romans, Paul expertly lays out the gospel. It's an incredible letter to churches in Rome and basically laying out the gospel, the good news of Jesus to them. But I want you to hear this. We're gonna read beginning in verse 15. He says this, he says, what then shall we what then? Shall we sin because we are no under, un, no, not under the law but under grace? Kind of goes back to what we just read in Galatians 5. Don't indulge the flesh. He says, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have, become, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. That's a kind way for Paul to say you're not that bright. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Do you see this? It didn't go from slave to a master to just free to go do whatever. He's saying, look, you were once a slave to an abusive master. Now you've committed your allegiance to a master that gives life. It wasn't from... I'm committed my allegiance to this master to now I have no master. It was I committed from this allegiance, I've been set free from having to be bound to this wicked, abusive master to now I've been adopted. I've become united. I've given my allegiance to this life-giving, loving master. He goes on and he says, what benefits He says, when you were in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death, but you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second root of this tension, um, this tension exists because of our understanding of lordship and the Christian life because of lordship in the Christian life. See, I want you to hear this, that Jesus as Lord is not a suggestion for the Christian. Jesus as Lord is not a suggestion. In fact, if you go read Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, it is a prerequisite for salvation. Romans 10, nine and 10 tells us that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead, we confess him as Lord, then we'll be saved. Lordship is at the very beginning of this. It's not an option. So autonomy and lordship can't coexist. It's impossible. And you, you really, if you think about it, even in a worldly way, you can't have autonomy in any kind of healthy relationship. 
How, how, do, how would that work in marriage, right? Maybe that's the reason a lot of times marriages doesn't work, don't work is because rather than mutually submitting ourselves to one another, we're fighting for our own autonomy, my ability to make my own choices and do my own thing without restraint from myself or anyone else. But God calls us to mutually submit to one another. So we got to see this, that lordship's not an option. Lordship is at the very center, the heart of our salvation and our relationship with Jesus. Now go, this is the last one and we'll get out of here. Matthew chapter 20. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be reading in, beginning in verse 20. I want to go ahead and give you this third and last point, though, before I read this. This tension between autonomy and lordship exists because of our understanding of lordship and, quote, the king. Our understanding of lordship and the king. So let's read this. This is a moment in the life of a couple of Jesus' disciples that I would think they uh, should have been embarrassed by. I don't know that they are. Um, how many of you ever have ever had your mother step in to fight a battle and you were kind of like, hey, mom, just step down. Like, please, this is embarrassing. I'm a grown man. I'm like 44 years old, right? Um, well, this is about what's about to happen. Um, then it says here in verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. So this is James and John. That's code for James and John, okay? The sons of Zebedee. Verse 21, what is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. So she's thinking, you're about to establish this great kingdom on earth. Bring it back to the days like when King David was ruling. And she says, when you do this, can one of my boys be your right-hand man and one of my boys be your left-hand man? They're like this probably. I mean, I would be. Maybe they're not because they chime in in a minute. Jesus said in verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, and it's not like, can you drink from my cup? Like, let's share some wine. That's not all he's talking about. The cup that Jesus was gonna drink and the cup that Jesus was gonna take is the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. They can't take that. But Jesus is saying, can you really do this? And they're like, we can. They have no clue what they're asking. Verse 24, when the 10 heard about this, the other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. No wonder, they're trying to cut in front of them. They're trying to get ahead of them. Jesus called them together and said, and, and at this, I think Jesus had to do like a deep sigh or something. Like, oh, come here. You're all grown, but you're not grown. Come here. And he says this, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I wanna tell you again, this, this root of tension between autonomy and lordship exists because, our understanding, because of our understanding of lordship and the king. See, here's the reality, that we don't have a good example of anyone that we see in the world who has the most power and actually uses it to elevate other people. 
Do you think maybe that our understanding of king and our understanding of leader and our understanding of the, the sovereign people over us that we would call sovereign who, who are able to make the decisions and choices, do you think we might look around us today at the people who are in authority and, and rebel against that authority because they all act like four-year-olds? See, we, we've got this idea of king, we've got this idea of lordship that's abusive. We've never seen anyone other than Jesus, who is the most powerful person, not just here, but in the universe, the one who created it all and sustains it right now, holding it together, the most powerful being that there is. And he says, instead of using it to push up on others and elevate myself above them, I'm going to humble myself, wash their feet, go to a cross, die the death they should have died, taking the wrath on myself, and then I'm going to ascend after death send back the Holy Spirit, give them life, give them an eternal um, relationship with me. I'm gonna sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make testimony for them. My blood that's shed for them speaks a better testimony. I'm gonna do all of this for them. We don't have an example of that. And whether you're, as I said last week, whether you're an elephant, whether you're a donkey, whether you're red, whether you're blue, whether you're in the middle and you're purple, it doesn't really matter. We don't have an example of this. We don't have an understanding of lordship that's in line with scripture. We have to allow the Bible and what we see in scripture, the truth of God to define lordship, not allow the world and our experience to find Jesus' lordship. It's a huge deal. Uh, how many of you know, like, in the back of your Bible, there's a thing called a concordance, okay? There's a thing called a concordance, and if you go to it, like, this is the one in the back of this Bible. And if you go to it, you can look up words. So say you um, are wanting to look up words about hate or bitterness or, or love or whatever you want to look up. You can go there, and you want to look up verses that have those words, and you can go there. If you're like me, sometimes you, you know um, a verse, you have a part of a verse in your mind, you know a key word in it, but you, can't, you don't know the exact address, right? And so you go and you can look it up in the back of the, the Bible in your concordance many times and you can find that verse. Well, this morning there was a verse I couldn't locate and so I went back and I began to look and it was interesting. I'd never seen this before. But under the word, like if there's a bunch of verses that use that word, there'll just be tons of scriptures and verses that are listed there. And I started noticing something. I noticed that there were three words that seemed to have the most scripture under them. Now, you may go counting yours, and you're like, oh, this ain't right. This one's got more than those. Well, maybe so. If these aren't the most of most, like the three with the most, it's close, okay? My point of this is these three words must be really important if they've got this much scripture in the Bible. The first word, that I've noticed that had tons of scripture under that word was God. Makes sense. It's a book about God, right? The second one I noticed was what? Starts with an L. We talking about it right now. Lord, I noticed it. But guess what the third one was? Anybody guess what the third one was? Starts with an L. Love, yeah, love, love. 
Isn't that interesting? It's a book about God. Obviously, the lordship of God, the lordship of Christ is important because of how much the word Lord is used. And then over here, though, the the third one was love. Isn't it interesting that that would be how it is in Scripture? Maybe by looking around us at the world around us and the people we've seen in leadership, the people with authority, maybe our mindsets are a little bit off from what it looks like to have Jesus as Lord. Because here's the thing I can tell you, is that when you look at it, the best possible thing we can do in our life is submit to Jesus as Lord. How many of you, how many of you with kids um, have ever made this statement? I make it at least once a week. One day you're gonna learn, or I'll get something and I'll say something, they realize it's right, and I'll say this. One day you're gonna learn that I'm not as big of an idiot as you think I am. Anybody ever said that? It's one of our favorite sayings. Do you think God might ever say that? Do you think God ever looks at us and he's like, one day my children are gonna realize that I'm not as big of an idiot as they think I am. Ding, ding, ding. Like maybe God who loves us has given us a plan that leads to life and not to death. But we fight and we kick all the way. If we can come to a place of recognizing God and his truth as the sovereign, as the Lord, then I believe this, that it will lead us to life. I know this, it will lead us to life. But we've gotta wake up, and we would never say this, right? We would never say, well, Maybe God's not as big of an idiot as I think he is. Like, we would never say that. But hey, do we live that way? When we kick and scream against the things that God has given us? Yes, let me answer that, yes. We all do. In some way, in fact, this this is the application I'm gonna give you. We'll get out of here about 10 minutes late. The first application of this is is this. When When I see who... The Bible tells me Jesus is who God is. I see what the Bible tells me I am, a sinner, rebellious against God, deserving wrath. When I see what the Bible tells me about what Jesus has done for me, when I see what the Bible tells me I've become in Christ, then why would I not submit to his lordship? The first question, the first applicable thing I would ask you is this, is Jesus Lord of your life? Because according to scripture, if Jesus is not Lord, you can have attended as many worship services. You can get in water and get dunked. You can do all of these things. You can read your Bible. You, you can give to the poor. You can do all the things you wanna do. But if Jesus is not Lord, according to Bible, not according to Brandon, you're not saved. You don't know him. Is Jesus Lord. The second one is this. What area or areas have I not submitted to his lordship? Let me go ahead and relieve some pressure for you. We all have one. Get with the Lord and say, God, search my heart and know me. What attitude, what action, what habit, what emotion is is not submitted to you, is sinful. I guarantee you there is one. Me too. The third one, what is my next steps toward renewing my understanding of what it means to be free and live in freedom, to to understand better lordship and how that affects my life and to know the king better. 
Some of us, we may need to grab somebody that we know is further along and say, will you walk with me in this? The, the testimonies we heard of the baptisms, that's what happened in, with, with both of those. Somebody walked with them. Some of us, it might just be reading Scripture. It's not as hard to understand as you think. If my eight-year-old can read it and get a lot out of it, then it's not that hard. He would say it's because he's that smart. He's the one that I tell the most I'm not as big of an idiot as you think I am. Whatever it is, guys, taking steps to get closer to the Lord. Here's how I want to end this. I don't have time to belabor it, so I'm just going to cut right to the chase. If you realize today Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, Chase gave an opportunity this morning for you to respond to salvation. But you realize this. You say today, I know he's never been Lord. It's always been me calling the shots. I've never surrendered my life. And, and understanding this is the best way to live is under the Lordship of Christ. But you've never done that. And today you say today, I want to make Jesus not just call him Savior, but he's Lord. I want to come to a place of salvation with him, a relationship with him. You've never done that today. You want to make that decision. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Let's, let's, let's cut to the chase. Y'all are hungry. I am too. If that's you today, I want you to stand up. Let's stand up. Let's celebrate this. not something to be ashamed of. It's something for us to celebrate, right? It's going from death to life. I don't care if you've been in church for 30 or 40 years. I don't care if you're 65 years old. If you don't know him, then let's quit pretending and let's get real about this and let's enter into a relationship with Jesus today. If you don't know him, stand up. Stand up and let's celebrate it today if you're coming to faith. Amen. Amen. I get somebody, one of our prayer folks to pray with him, please. Somebody? All right, thank you, Michael. He's just going to pray with you. I want to be able to help you take some next steps, okay, in this relationship. All right, anybody else today, man, the Lord is knocking on your heart. You realize that Tired of being, I'm tired of being the sovereign. I screw it up when I'm the sovereign. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you for how you work. I thank you for your spirit that we've seen move here today in so many ways. God, today we celebrate you. God, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of everything. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray that we would draw close to you this week, that we would look for others to invest your love into, others we can walk with to help them grow in knowing you, growing into fullness in you, that we would grow to be the church you've called us to be, that we would advance your kingdom in all the earth. We love you, God, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.